Looking for work? Better pay? Better work environment? We can help. Call Kelly Jobs today at 502-425-7131 to speak with a recruiter today. Score a better job with us. Call 502-425-7131 or visit kellyjobs.com. That's kellyjobs.com. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. The Drive with Mark Ennis, presented by The Fitness Market on 93.9 The Ville. The Fitness Market is Louisville's premier location for home and commercial fitness equipment and electric bikes. Find them online at thefitnessmarket.com. Now here's Mark Ennis and Luke Hancock. Welcome back to The Drive on 93.9 The Ville. I'm Luke Hancock. Spencer's in the booth. And Mark Ennis is uh, in no man's land right now. We'll probably get him back at some point. We are we're efforting. I know he hates that word. Yeah, I'm not sure what the plan is right now going forward, but Mark will be rejoining us at some point in the show. At some point. Okay. Let's go on a little bit of a, a conversation here. We're going to get back to the Louisville-Florida State game. Some things you want to see, some things that you saw. But I want to I wanna ask you about this Kara Lawson situation. Somebody texted in, and I actually didn't even know this. She goes, let's, let's first set this up. So Duke's team is very good, very good on the women's side. They are battling it out with the best teams in the ACC, and there's like six ranked teams on the women's side oh, in the ACC. They beat Louisville earlier this year in a right. very tight game. So first thing I want to say, it's not – a great look when you're that good and you worry about a loss and come back after the fact. You haven't done much losing. And so after you have a bad loss, you turn around and you say something like, oh, by the way, my last comment in my press conference a game ago, not the game that you're doing the post-game presser for, but the game before in the first half, you had issues. And there was an investigation that the women's team was using a men's ball for the first half. Now, a couple things again. That would never happen if in a men's game because, or at least one that I'm playing, as soon as I caught that ball, as soon as I dribbled it, as soon as I shot it, I think if I literally dribbled it one time, I would know. This, this isn't right. And I think, I, I mean, I know. Kelly Gramlich that played at Clemson, she's on the ACC network with us, said the same thing. As soon as I caught the ball. I would know the difference. And you're right, it's heavier. So I don't understand. She talks about accountability and that this would never happen in the men's game. Texter says, in 2010, Illinois versus Oakland, a women's ball was used in the first half. I would say again, why? How? That doesn't make any sense. You would be able to tell during the free throw lines beginning the, before the game started if the ball was wrong. Well, I'm sitting there with Joel Berry and, and Boozer this weekend and they both said, like, I would always go up to the ref right before the game starts. You're kind of on the court, but you're waiting for the broadcast to get together. You're, it's timing of everything, so you're kind of waiting on thumbs up from, like, three or four different people, right? It's like it, it's got to go across the arena almost to all these different uh, facilitators of the whole process to get the broadcast started. You finally get it. But while that's happening, when you're on the basketball court, you're passing around the basketball. Take a couple dribbles. You know, do a little shot in the air. It's, it's going around to your teammates. You're just testing it out. There's a big problem with it, which it doesn't really happen much anymore. But, you know, they, they, they can change one out. I just can't imagine you pass it around to a few people and everybody's like, yeah, it looks good. And then at halftime, for whatever reason, she sends an assistant coach up to the podium who says, yeah, the ball was wrong. Now, the ACC did an investigation and said, we didn't find anything. We talked to the officials. We talked to the people that were on the sidelines and nothing. We didn't see anything. This is closed, period. That quickly. Now, they said they did change out the basketballs as more of a courtesy. But again, you go through that whole game, into the game at Florida State, 
say nothing. Next game, at the very end of your postgame presser, come out with some strongly worded criticism, saying this would never happen in the men's game. This is a failure on multiple levels. And really going after it. You know, I, I know she's an emotional person. She looked like she was going to be in tears. Like She was very upset about this. And again, it just it baffles me the timing of it, why she wouldn't bring it up after the first game. Why you say investigation? Like, if you're my assistant and you go up and tell me, hey, the ball's wrong, it's a men's ball, there's there's not really an investigation. Like, I'm just going to believe you. You're my assistant coach. And then to have so many other people look into it, nobody say anything. Oh, by the way, I think she was like 7 for 30 from the field in that first half. Both teams shot poorly, but her team in particular. And they did end up losing that game. Muffin McGraw made a good point while we were uh, doing the show on Friday. said, as a coach, you know, when you're winning, say less. When you're losing, say even less. I butchered that saying, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I'm following. When you're winning, say little. When you're losing, say less, I believe is the saying. So she did say, as a coach, I wouldn't want to get up there and make any excuses right after. So maybe you give her some grace to say, all right, I'm going to bring this up later. But with how emotional she was and and the fact she mentioned this seating implications, et cetera, et cetera, it ended up being kind of kiboshed quickly for what she said was such a big deal. And as a player or as a part of the Duke program, I would think it would be a bigger deal now. You know, we got a caller. Let's get Matt. And Matt, welcome to the drive on 93.9. What's going on, man? Hey, guys. What's going on? Big fan. Always appreciate y'all breaking it down. Uh, I had some thoughts about the game on Saturday that I wanted to share with y'all. Let's do it. Um, so the game Saturday, I, I remember Mark in the first hour, he said something like, I just felt different, and I was going to agree with him. And Where, can I ask it. if you were at the game? Or I you just watching? at the okay. game. I watched the broadcast at my house. Yep. And uh, I've been to like three games this year. It's just so pricey. I I can't I can't get over to too many of them. Yeah, but, more uh, just asking if you were I, there for for kind of the atmosphere. I know the fight down the stretch was great to see, but just just seeing if you were there or uh, or watching from home. So no worries, I was not there either. Go ahead. So I watched I watched from home. I actually thought Jay Will did a great job of breaking down the game. You know, pointing out what's going bad, what's going good, and I really appreciated his. Uh, analysis there in the game i know he kind of upset a couple people and i i get that you know but that's if you're in that media industry you're always going to upset some people but that's a good point what i was gonna agree with mark about that felt different at least for me was that it was a game that i forgot about all the other crap in the program, you know, for the first time in what feels like a couple seasons, I was just like locked in on those last 10 minutes or so, you know, and when L hit that lob to JJ and they tied the game up, I was just, I was so fired up, you know, I was out of my seat. I was hollering at the TV and, and then to see the game end how it did, obviously a disappointment you know but to see even just to be happy for the fans that stuck there and they were given an ovation to the players I don't know I was just like filled with joy even though it was a loss like I I just forgot about all the all the stuff that's been surrounding this program and I was just in it and that, for me, was enough to be like, wow, that was fun, you know? Yeah. And a, a minute and 42 seconds left for it to be tied up 74-74 on a 17-2 run. I'm with you. You know, it's easy for everybody to say, well, they were down 17. They should have never been in that situation. It's very easy for people to say that, but I'm with you. I think it felt different because you were able to handle that adversity – and Mark mentioned it's not like they were just completely wide open shots. They hit some tough ones to get up 17. But when you fight back like that, you're right. And that the exclamation point dunk, I mean, this guy, he does things that you don't see that often on the court. Like he's different with 
his ability to go up there and get them. They've really noticed that in the Georgia Tech game and the Florida State game, and it's a a momentum-shifting play. You always say that the guys who say two points is two points couldn't dunk because the, the, you're right, the place was rocking in that moment. Yeah, I just I felt good for the guys to get that ovation. Like, it's been a tough season. I understand why people are as upset as they are. But I, you know, in the broadcast was good. Like I said, Jay Will, I almost felt like he was like coaching up the team the whole time. Like yeah. it was almost like the whole broadcast was a Louisville perspective, which I really enjoyed, obviously. But I just wanted to share that. Big fan, Luke. Appreciate you guys doing the show. I always enjoy it. Thank you very much for the call, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Matt. I, I just think you know, there were so many positives to take away from that game. There are a couple people texting in, and you're just not going to get away from If you say anything positive about it, it's going to be a participation trophy is what we're trying to get at UofL and blah, blah, blah. So that being said, we're going to take more calls. I'm with Matt. I took away a lot of positive things. Being able to tie that game up late, the lob from L to JJ Trainer was awesome. 74-74 in the Yum Center. That environment is why kids go, and it's really impactful because there were recruits in the house. We're going to pause real quick for some station identification. All right, well, I am going to say this one more time because I'm in this boat, Okay. Somebody just texted in. They said, you're not going to like this, Luke, but I can't stand we're taking away moral victories from a loss to a very bad team. So first thing, they are 5-7 and seven in conference. Like, I'm not saying they're the greatest basketball team. They've had some horrid losses. They started out absolutely brutal. But, you know, 5-7 and seven in conference. They're ahead of, like, Virginia Tech. Just beat Virginia. It was the number six team in the they're, country. Like They're a pure program for this year for Louisville. And even in most years when Virginia, Florida State was a good team, Louisville was competing with them year yeah. in, year out. So, they're, again, it's a down year for Leonard Hamilton's company. I don't know what the plan going for. I believe, was it before the game or after the game? He's like, look, I know what Kenny's going through. I had like five guys I thought was going to win this year's team and like two guys transferred out and like two guys had torn ACL. So, yeah. he's battling a lot of adversity this season too. He is, um, and I don't know if anybody's had worse luck than his teams just with injuries the last couple years. It's like you never see Florida State teams play a 10-9 man rotation. He's gotten even less than that through this season. You're more likely to see a 16-man rotation than an 8- or a 9-man rotation from a Leonard Hamilton team. But I, I'm right there with that texter. You know, I don't want to be celebrating losses. I, I've What is fun? Winning. I've said that forever. It's not going out there and just being a part of the competition. That, that's not me. That's not me at all. I can be critical. I can talk about turnovers. I can talk about you know, the execution level and the fact that they're giving up the live ball turnovers that, that cost you the game. You know, Again, you dig through the stat sheets. Louisville was 10 for 11 from the free throw line. Yeah, Florida State had more, but they were really efficient there. 13 for 19 for Florida State. They won the three-point line. They made 10 threes. I think they got a little bit happy with some of those late. But even, you know, the Mike James three was wide open there to tie it up late. They shoot 46.8% from the field. You can win with that, certainly. They had 15 assists on 29 field goals. You can win with that, certainly. So, you know, you can't dig yourself a hole at 17-0. I'm sorry, uh, uh, you can't build yourself that deficit. I'm looking at biggest runs was, was 8 to nothing for Florida State. And then try and fight your way out of it. In the ACC, you just can't do that. But fast break points, 14 for Florida State, 2 for Louisville, and points off turnovers. Giving up live ball turnovers that lead to runouts and easy opportunities. Florida State had 19 off turnovers. Louisville had 5 off turnovers. Again, though, Louisville is right there in points in the paint. They're starting to say, hey, this is our domain down here, and they're protecting it. They're rebounding much better. They won in bench points, which against Florida State, again, I would go back and look at the seven losses and probably say this is the first time that they've done that. Second chance points, bench points, and you out-rebound a Florida State team, there are positives. I agree with you, Texter. I'm not happy about moral victories either, but there are some positives to take away, and I think it's going to be tough for somebody to say, no, I'm in, I'm, I feel worse about this team than I did a month ago. I was going to say, just even like a week ago with the Notre Dame game, that was awful. Right. Like, this... 
and I was saying like yesterday with uh, Phil Baker, was like that was a you know compared to what we've seen this year. Last week for Louisville basketball was a good week for them. You yeah. beat Georgia Tech, and then you battled back with Florida State. Should you have been down fifteen? No, but that's just what happens with this year's team. You just, you know they're going to be down double digits, and like you were saying, you can't dig yourself that kind of deficit and expect to be battling back and making it close. We've seen that time and time again. It's just a script with this year's team. But I was, again, this takeaways, they had more assists and turnovers for, I think, the second time this year they've done that. Yeah, a couple stats from the the notes, and then we're going to get to Robert here in just two seconds. Over the last uh, 14 games, L. Ellis is averaging 18.3 points, 5.7 assists, three rebounds, one and a half steals. On Sunday, Ellis was one of 18 players in the nation with at least 395 points and 110 assists this season. And this is what I like the most. After having a positive assist-to-turnover ratio just three times in the first nine games this year, L. Ellis has been positive 12 out of the last 14. Regardless of how you feel about the standard being a positive assist-to-turnover ratio, improvement. Exactly. Improvement, nonetheless. Okay? Regardless of how you feel in Georgia, I mean, uh, against Georgia Tech and Florida State, Jalen Withers averaged 16.5 and 8.5. And He's obviously shot the ball at a crazy clip. I don't think that level is sustainable. But again, it's about your impact on the floor. They have looked dramatically better with Okorafor on the roster. I just want to say that he's really helped out with the physicality. All right, let's let's get Robert. Robert, welcome into the drive on 93.9. What's going on? Hey, how you doing, Luke? Uh, first of all, big fan, uh, diehard U of L fan. You know, thank you, thank you. I was born, thirty-four years old. Uh, I just want to, you know, I won't be long, but uh, just want to throw a couple things out there. I was at the game Wednesday, Georgia Tech for the victory. I was there uh, Saturday. You know, great atmosphere for me. Uh, I took my son Wednesday. Took my brother uh, Saturday. My dad has season tickets. Uh, awesome. And just a great atmosphere. Uh, what I really wanted to talk about, you know, uh, we, you know, I live in Louisville, of course, you know, my whole life, and so I, I know what's going down. The atmosphere around the town. We got three groups going on right now. We got, you know, the one group that, you know, can't stand Kenny Payne from the start. So they say even if they wanted him at the beginning, now now they're against him, and you know, we got to run him out of town. It's awful. Uh, and we got the. Uh, the other group that, you know, whatever Kenny does, you know, we got to excuse him for it. It's not his fault, and it's not the coaching and all that. And then you've got the middle group like me that's like, you know, uh, I want to give this guy, you know, kind of a chance. Uh, I, you know, I, there's still hope. I don't want to go against him, you know, what happens next season if they come in and he does turn it around. And I'm, I'm just a diehard fan. Uh, I want to show the show the team support no matter what. Uh, you know, like like this uh, this show does. You got to show support even uh, you know when things are going bad. We try to find the good things and just uh, continue to you know show support for these kids. They're they're young guys. They're going to make mistakes and uh, hopefully the coaching gets better. We get some some better uh, players in here that want to work harder next year and keep the guys that are working hard right right now and get some guys like a core four in here that got that effort. And um, I just want to say, you know, stand behind our team and who knows what will happen next year. And Robert, don't hang up just yet, but I I appreciate the call very much. First thing, you're giving me an assist today because with Mark Ennis dropping power, we are going to get him back at some point. But I appreciate you for giving me the call today. I want to ask you, you mentioned the three buckets, right? They they can't stand KP. We got to get him out of town. The uh, yeah. he can do no wrong. This none of this is his fault. We, we he's going to be great. And then the middle mm-hmm. ground. You said the rational folks. I call it the the give him a real chance. Let him re- try and recruit his guys. You got to give him more time. And we can go into to yeah. reasons why for all those things. But where are the percentages for you of the fan base that are in each of those three categories? Uh, you know, since I'm around town and I feel it a lot, um, I would say. Eighty percent want Kenny out. Uh, that I, I would high, say huh? At the very beginning, at the very beginning when we got Kenny, it was about sixty percent wanted Kenny, and he was going to do good. And then it turned to eighty percent didn't want him. He never had a head coaching job before. Uh, you know, I'm a, I, you know I live in. Uh, pretty rough town uh, side of town. I, you, you got a lot of supporters, you know, and uh, I, I'd say about eighty percent 
worn him out right now, man. Yeah, yeah that's tough, man. That is tough. And I, I ask you because you said you've been to games, you pay attention to it, obviously listen to the show, and I'm sure others. But it's a tough spot to be in. I think people forget how how thin the line between success and failure is in terms of college basketball and winning games. How one, two guys can just make a dramatic difference. So, you know, I, I'm with you. I appreciate the call very much, man. Thank you. You gave me a nice assist there, Robert. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Have a good one. You too. All right, let's get uh, one more call in here. I, I do like the point, though. If, and it's like this with so many either sports topics or teams. You're going to have the the two sides on the end that are the loudest and kind of voice their opinions, but there's usually the mass majority there in the middle. I still feel like I'm squarely in the middle of Kenny Payne's going to get a great opportunity here. It hasn't happened yet. And I think I think you're crazy if you're just going to be the loudest on both sides with where we're at this year. You know, if you're going to fire the guy, probably what already happened. You know, what's the difference between winning two games, three games, four games, five games? The test to me starts at the end of the season. I don't want any more victories either. I know people are probably tired of hearing me say that. That's where it is. That's where it is. All right, Spencer, you, JB, welcome into the drive on 93.9. How's it going? Yeah, you queued me up. Uh, I was 16 when they won it in 80 and 21 when they won it in 86. And thank God you uh, got us another one, helped get us another one. Uh, and all the other Elite Eights and Final Fours and Sweet 16s along the way. So. The good old days. Uh, you know, I never thought I'd see it like this, but, um, you know, we kind of hit rock bottom, but I think the last thing we need to do rationally is to divide the fan base again. And, um, like you said, one or two guys along with what we've got right now, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, whether they like it or not, you're going to have to give the guy two or three years now. And it's got to be an amicable separation. The last thing we need to do is, is, is uh, divide the fan base. As long as he gets uh, elite talent in here, like he said he would, now he is, we have to hold him to that, too. Um, maybe he can move on if, if coaching isn't, is he can't be a top level coach in the ACC, maybe. And then the talent is still here for, for somebody else. So it could be, it could be just a bridge, but I don't want to see Milt and him run out of town because they represent a part of my past and, and, and we dominated the 80s. If Allen Houston hadn't went to uh, Tennessee with his dad, we'd, we'd have four national yeah. championships. <laughs> Would have kept going, yeah. So, yeah, and that's my opinion. You know, I'm frustrated too. I'm mad. Uh, but, you know, reality is, is we got to give the guy some time and then it'll pan out. But I think it needs to be amicable. The separation. I'll see what you think about that, Luke. Thank you. Yeah, man. I I appreciate the call very much. There, um, I think it's a great point. You know, first of all, any any fan base they would take a year of this for winning a national championship. KP delivered one of those. He's got a lot of talent on that coaching staff. He's got to find a way to impart that wisdom on his guys. And I'm totally with you on he needs a real opportunity. I'm totally with you on he has to be held accountable to bringing in talent. Like, we're not going to sit here forever. I keep looking at the roster, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, these guys have some talent. These guys you know, should be much better than this, and they should, but where would you reasonably expect this team to finish? You know, I, I know that opens up a whole can of worms, but it's like they, there's nobody who's been a winner in their college career. Like, you're not going out and getting a, a Steve Forbes-type team where you're getting transfers with – two and three years of experience competing at the high level. Now they've, they've got JUCOs, they've got freshmen, and they've got guys who have not been a part of consistent teams that have put together some level of continuity to help them win. You know, you've moved out. Think about last year and the guys that left off that team. I keep bringing this up, but Noah Locke is playing really well for Providence. That team is battling. I saw Sam Williamson come to uh, play Memphis at Memphis. I was at the game, and – he was out there for whatever it was, 25 minutes, and it seemed like he had four points and three rebounds and just a huh, kind of performance. You know, I know the Davis brothers at Seton Hall are playing pretty well. Uh, Matt Cross, is, isn't he dating? Uh, he was the first one I saw in the memes about dating uh, the Duchess of Bay Ridge. What's her name? Margot uh, Robbie. Oh, really? Margot <laughs> Robbie. He was the first one I saw. The and first actually, TMZ meme. <laughs> yes, it was sent to me by a buddy, and I hadn't seen it, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. 
that just can't be real. You know, there's the first one that gets you. Yeah, no, and I, then, when I saw that, I was like, she's married, I'm pretty, and she is, but was, the memes just kept coming. I was, yeah, like, yeah, Matt Cross over at UMass now with, uh, I'm blanking, the guy that used to coach South Carolina. Uh, Frank Martin. Frank Martin. Thank he was you. my USA coach. Oh, really? So I had the USA basketball experience with him, and I've told this story a few times on air over the years, but Frank Martin, everybody knows him because he is a yeller. He is so intense when he starts to, you know, get fired up. It looks like his head's going to explode. We were playing USA basketball, and Will Sheehy and I had made the team. We were just kind of going through a little walkthrough, messing around. Might have been just a shooting workout. And uh, we were like, we got to find a way to mess with Coach Martin, see if we can get him upset. So I think Will throws the first behind-the-back pass. It goes in like the sixth row, and he sets up a play, and I'm supposed to go right and I go left. I don't remember it all, but he was so nice to us. He wouldn't uh, – in that setting, he wouldn't get fired up, but we tried hard to get Frank Martin to blow a gasket I'm there. I'm sure those South Carolina players, you've talked to any of them from the, over the years, they have some stories. Yeah. I was I was talking to Joel Berry and just wondering who his uh, Final Four was when he was there, and it was that South Carolina team, which I had totally forgotten about. That was like the interesting career of Frank Martin. He's been to one tournament, and it was the Final Four run 17 with South Carolina. And every <laughs> other year he missed the tournament, but he still regards a good coach. Yeah. And what the women's team won it, the men's team went to the Final Four, and the football team won a bowl game that season. But baseball didn't make the actually baseball they've had some good seasons. Yeah, but you, they probably, probably didn't make the World that. Series that year, but because they had a Jackie Bradley Jr. for a bit, and they went back to back early tens. Yeah, I uh, I actually went to a Darius Rucker concert that year. He said uh, it was right before the Masters. I was driving down and uh, went with my buddy Chris Wade, and we got down there and found out that Columbia was having this concert because Darius Rucker had a couple bourbons, it sounded like. He started tweeting out that he would do a uh, benefit concert if the team reached the Final Four and, and a couple other caveats to that. But what happened is the president obviously was up a little late as well because he said about two minutes after he sent that tweet, they sent him a message and said, confirmed, we've got it all set up. Thanks so much for doing this. And he didn't like you know formally agree to anything. He said he woke up the next morning and was like, what just happens? I actually went to that benefit concert. Oh, Long story short there, but... Um, I appreciate the love. Says I'm all right at hosting this. I don't host very much radio, so uh, I gotta I gotta give you some props for uh, for showing love here. You know, I, there are, are several people that are texting in and saying that they they've kind of lost interest at this point. And I would say, man, that's tough. That's tough because you're seeing improvement. And I think if you were in the building for the last two games, it was pretty exciting. You know, I was there for Georgia Tech. I was working on Saturday for the Florida State game. But from what I can see, and again, that that J.J. Trainer dunk, you brought the energy, man. Oh, yeah, I'm watching it. So I'm in studio because I had to do post game that day. So I have, like, the Paul Rogers call on the radio on the TV. And, you know, radio's always a little bit ahead. And I hear the J.J. dunk. I'm like, did I just hear that correctly? And I see the play. I'm like, that's the play that tied this game up. Like, gosh, it would have been fun to be there. They said 12,000, which I'm a little surprised because just given how this year's been, I didn't think they would draw a crowd that big this late in the year, but I guess you know the momentum from winning Georgia Tech that fires some people up. It's like Florida State; it's a winnable game, so you want to go check it out. But yeah, if I was in the, that energy in that arena with the JJ dunk, had to be top notch. One of the top moments for this year. He's had a few of those plays where he just looks like his head is at the rim and he puts those long arms up there. He's catching the ball at the top of the backboard. It seems. I would love for him to be a guy who kind of floats on that baseline and just does exactly that. Be a drop-off guy. Be somebody who's just going to catch and go up and try and dunk on everyone. Last guy like that, Montrezl Hero, did all right, I think. Oh, yeah, that was those few years there. I mean, even Donovan, I know he's a guard, so it's a little different than, the, you know, the forward big spot. But even Donovan had some big dunks. Like, you know, one at Syracuse, even against here, against Syracuse, he had some big dunks throughout his time here. Yeah. Um, the Syracuse game, that that's what comes to me because – those shot blockers at the three, four, and five were so good, and he just didn't care. You know, he just caught all those drop downs and just went up and hammered those dunks. But JJ Trainer, you know, I think people, I, I didn't like that he just wanted to play on the perimeter in, in terms of being at the three spot so much. It seemed like he was not willing to embrace some of the other things as far as getting dirty in the paint. And I'm hoping that catching a few lobs these last two games kind of show him that. I can be a difference maker inside and outside. That's the that's the real benefit of JJ Trainer. If he can kind of realize my versatility is what makes me strong. I'm not an elite three point shooter. You know, I'm not elite at driving past anybody on the perimeter. I'm not an elite back to the basket post up player. But if I do a little bit of all these things, 
it's going to just make me dramatically more effective out there. Now, he needs to be more physical, especially on the defensive end. But if that guy learns to kind of take that first contact on defense and be more solid, he takes the first bump and he gets knocked so far back every time, whether it's a post-up or a drive, and then you're you're really you're going to foul him or they're going to get an easy one. And I think part of his problem has just been, you know, the lack of consistency with the head coaching spot. You know, yeah. Mac, Pegues, now Kenny Payne. That I mean, he kind of fell out of the flavor of the lineup last year, so he didn't see much of him on the court. But JJ's got the potential. He's only got what one more year, maybe two with the COVID year with eligibility here. Yeah, I mean, he's a junior. You'd like to think that he's going to be more impactful, but. I like your point, man. Just the consistency with the the coach's philosophy with you, day in and day out. This is what I need from you every single day. That makes an impact over time. And I look at him, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't like all the, the Rick Patino references, but a guy like that who was forced to be accountable with certain things and play a certain way, I mean, we charted deflections every game. That guy with that wingspan, man, it feels like he would have just dominated every single day with that athleticism. So... You know there are there are bits and pieces that you're really liking. Uh, I did see in a note L. Ellis is one of three players in the ACC with 370 points and 100 assists this season, and that's in the the company of Tyree Appleby from Wake Forest, who again I brought up his numbers. He's he's right there with Alondez Williams from last season, who won ACC Player of the Year, and then NC State's Turquavion Smith, who if you haven't seen him play, he is flying up draft boards absolute bucket on the basketball court some of the stuff he does he reminds me of russ smith but he's bigger because it seems so unorthodox at times but just finds a way to get it done and and an absolute scorer out there he's a lot of fun to watch but l ellis in rare company again i've loved that the turnovers were kind of held down 11 you can win with that they've out rebounded the last three games and that's in florida state and that's Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech, although they played a little small ball against Louisville, you take away Javon Franklin and they got annihilated on the boards. Javon Franklin, I think, had seven offensive rebounds in that game. He looked like he was flying in to try a tip dunk every time. You take away his offensive boards, Louisville dominates the way they did against, against Notre Dame. That's nothing to really hang your hat on. But still, it's another ACC team. So haven't lost since Boston College on the rebound war. Only lost by two in that game. Played much better, 17-2 run to tie it up against Florida State, but just couldn't close the deal. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is The Drive on 93.9. Metro College is a program that helps students pay for tuition, and I didn't believe it. You have to work third shift, five days a week. It's a great and rewarding thing when you graduate. I would do it all over again, just like I just did. You know those buddies who magically become medical professionals when you're not at the top of your game? The ones who say, Come on, muscle through it. But then also say, Hey, you should probably see my specialist. Or surgery or pain meds. It's almost always false, false, and false. Athletico's physical therapists, the same therapists who work with professional athletes, can tackle those little aches and pains from the start, before they become big ones. So next time, don't believe everything you hear. Instead, start with Athletico. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com. Welcome back to The Drive, presented by Fitness Market, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Now, here's Mark Ennis and Luke Hancock. Welcome back to The Drive on 93.9 The Ville. This is Luke Hancock, Spencer's in the booth, and we have the infamous Mark Ennis. You do. You back do. like you, he never left. That's right. That's right. How's it going, man? None of this ever happened. I'm doing fine. <laughs> doing fine. Well, welcome back. Uh, we did talk quite a bit uh about well, several different things we wanted to wait and hit this jim Beheim and carol lawson yes, stuff please. again um i, I was going to tee us up uh with this question coming back so let's not forget this but they were asking or saying that they really think uofl has a great chance against not a great chance but a chance against Pitt. and they were asking about the score last time yeah 75 54 last time out Pitt beat them by 21 was really in control most of that game um, you know, wasn't quite like Florida State where they they made a big run at the end. Um, and then one more, Mark, and then we'll get into the Jim Beheim, Carol Lawson stuff with the text message here. It says, would you be pro allowing for five years for all players going forward? 
and they said work on a master's and better product. And I, I'm I'm going to make some assumptions here. I'm assuming you mean like some kind of contract for the, for the players. And I think that is totally fine with me, and I think they're going to have to do something like that because we need some guardrails on what's going on with college basketball. But I think that five-year contract has to be one in which the university is beholden to the player, right? Like I don't think the relationship should even be both ways. I think the school should have to say, you know, you get injured, you're still you still got a scholarship from us. You sign for five years, that's the expectation. You can put whatever caveats you want in there. And I do think at some point, with all this money and everything, that they're going to need some type of contracts like this where, hey, if you're here, this is the expectation. And then I think if the player wants to leave, you know, we've given flexibility to coaches to get out of programs forever. Coach L didn't have to sit out when he left George Mason, and I'm sitting there like, I wonder who my coach is going to be. Right? He, he got a, I don't know exactly the numbers, but he got a huge raise, got a seven-figure raise, went to the ACC, became the Miami head coach, and I had to go sit out a year when I transferred to Louisville, not getting paid, had to transfer you know, several states over and just kind of sit there for a year. That, that has never made sense to me. I think these contracts are, are they're almost going to be a necessity with the craziness. Mark, we're going to talk about the Rashada uh, uh, story on The Athletic. It was very well written. It was a long article about that saga with the quarterback that's kind of flipped from Miami to Florida. and Now to Arizona State. And now to Arizona State. The NIL NIL numbers will blow your mind if you haven't seen this article. We're going to get into that as well. But, um, Mark, just on that last text right there about allowing – you know, five-year, I'm going to assume they mean contracts there from players and universities. I mean, you kind of get five years as it is if you just one of but, them uh, But it's a one-year right? contract, though. Like, I, saw, I had to re-sign a scholarship at the beginning of every season. I'm, I'm assuming what this person's meaning is to get away from transfer portal chaos and going out there and just looking for the next thing every year, some type of contract that says, hey, when I commit to – the University of Louisville, my commitment is for my education up to five years, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think that uh, Nigel Pack, didn't he, didn't it kind of become public that he signed a, you know, an agreement that was more than one year uh, yeah. with with Miami down there this time? So I, I, it would be interesting to see how they'll hold up if anyone basically tries to sign one of these NIL deals that is like more um, – it's heavier on the commitment than the than your like your scholarship information would be, you know, because like they're not going to be totally aligned. And of course, they're you know you can get yourself thrown out of school or whatever. Are you still under contract? If or if you go pro, are you still under contract? Like you know, I don't know how any of those are going to work together. And I think just to be like so much of when I hear contract, sounds like you're talking about an employee. Yeah, and that's the thing they really are trying so hard to stay away from. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to work, but you also try and lean on the NCAA to say you're supposed to be the enforcement arm, right? And we're supposed to not have pay for play, right? So right. we're in a situation where it is impossible to disguise what is going on with college sports. It is pay for play. If you have a freshman coming into a school and it's, hey, oh, you committed today? Well, here's your half a million dollar check. And we do expect some social media posts and some things throughout the year, which will pay you your monthly stipend, blah, 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 throughout the season. But this is your front check. Like, that is pay to commit to the school. That's pay for play. I don't see any other way to look at it. However, the NCAA now is in such a bind because they've basically given away so much power in this litigious society, they just don't want to stay in court anymore. So they've kind of just opened the floodgates and said, hey, we've got to let people transfer and we've got to let these kids make money off their name, image, likeness. They didn't police it well. And a lot of these guys you know, that are in uh, a broadcast position or an analyst position talking about college basketball, I've heard them say over and over again that it's nobody's fault. Well, it's the NCAA's fault. That's Mark right. Emmert made millions and millions of dollars to be the head of the NCAA. He got vote of confidence by that board over and over and over again. And college basketball is in the worst place. College sports is in the worst place. It's been in a long, long time. And I think you look at this Rashada case with the athletic, that's probably the first one that's going to get out there. But this has to be happening at so many levels and so many different sports. Mark, where do you want to start with the uh, Rashada 
story from The Athletic. I should have it teed up right now. I did read the whole article, but I can't remember who wrote it. So maybe we start there. Well, it was Andy Staples. Uh, it helped dig into it. But it, it really is, I think, the worst case scenario for anyone who's been paying attention to to what's going on with with college sports and NIL being immediately used as an inducement, basically the one thing they promised or that they swore they did not want to happen. But Stuart Mandel and Andy Staples got into it uh, and found the contract. And it not only was it like $13 million, like a, uh, it was $13.85 million. It's an enormous uh, contract. $500,000 payment was supposed to be due or supposed to be paid on December 5th in return for just the most minimal of services. And it was Social media posts and, and potential events, right? A couple events, of meet right? and greets. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. All for uh, a kid. And it certainly seems like this is, like all the worst characters are involved here. So this is yeah. Florida's kind of other collective, not what is, I think, kind of being dubbed as like their main one, uh, made this gigantic deal. And then you have uh, Jaden Rashada's you know, family and people around. And, Luke, this is a, a tale as old as time in college sports. People around a really valuable athlete trying to cash in as well, uh, meddling. Uh, and, and then schools using NIL for the thing that they're really not supposed to be using it for, all forming together to, to create this kind of really gross soup. Really gross hurricane, if you will. Yes. yes. And now he ends up uh, at neither of these places and instead is at – uh, Arizona State instead staggering numbers and staggering. I, I it makes me wonder if, if this doesn't turn out to be something uh, of a cautionary tale kind of like Deshaun Watson's contract where it's like this got made public don't you think that if you're if you're a collective you don't want any of this stuff to get public do you you don't want anyone well, to want anyone else is getting do I, you I'll, I'll give you a different uh, look at the whole thing okay so the numbers with this NIL contract, $500,000 was the upfront agreed upon payment, right? And uh, after it was a couple days late, they, they basically sent out a notice that said, hey, we have, uh, it, it's our right to, to take away this agreement, to terminate this whenever we want for whatever reason, and we're doing that. So it's over. And they expected that to kind of be it. So $500,000 upfront, his payments would increase from $250,000 as a freshman, that's per month. 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 Two hundred fifty grand a month as a freshman, $291,666.66 a month as a sophomore, $375,000 a month as a junior, rounded out with, and this was like one of the very few smart pieces from their perspective, is to lower that dollar amount senior year because you probably senior. aren't that big draft pick, right? So $195,000, uh, I'm sorry, $195,833.33 a month as a senior. And Mark referenced some of those very casual, easy things they need to do. You have to live in Gainesville. One branded Twitter post and Instagram post a month, up to eight fan engagement events. And you have to autograph 15 pieces of merchandise per year. Sounds pretty easy for 13.85 million. I just those numbers absolutely blow my mind. And you mentioned, Mark, do we want those numbers public? Do we want those contracts public? Well, the dangers of collectives, the misstep yes. with the NCAA is that they did not try and say, you know what, fundraising is okay, using these collectives is okay. We need oversight from the athletic department, from the university, to at least know these contracts are valid, that these kids aren't just walking into something that's just poof, thin air. Because it seems to me like this is two guys who basically said, we're going to function as the collective. And we're going to go out there and raise this money for a quarterback. And we're going to go tell him he's going to make blah, 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 $13.85 million. And they they counseled, I mean, had phone conversations with an attorney. Their uh, script, their, their uh, stamp of approval was on some of this letterhead in the contract. And it all fizzled out and amounted to nothing. And, and again, they wrote back and basically said, we have the ability to terminate this whenever we want. Two days late, nothing. And so I would rather have contracts out in the open 
that collectives do with players so that we know the details. And you're going to find out very, very quickly who is full of it and who is throwing out real numbers. And in my eyes, I think that's a good thing. Transparency is a good thing. I don't see how you have the oversight, I guess, Mark, without making it more transparent. If it could all be quiet, you know, I don't want my dollars and cents out in the media. I don't know why these kids would. But again, you're a high-profile athlete. Salaries in the NBA are public. The money they're making is public. So I, I see kind of both sides, you know? Yeah, I could understand the maybe like the benefit uh, of the, like having a reputation as being a place that pays, you know, and like that public part of it, I guess, would be good in, in terms of recruiting. But this just lays out, I think, Luke, all. Maybe the not the first. positives, though, Mark, but you would want to know the negatives. Yeah. Well, you would want to know the out, no payers. Oh, that, that, that's exactly right. Uh, all the things that like Lane Kiffin has talked about sort of being afraid of, and I don't think he's afraid of money at all, but just people acting on behalf of the program or on behalf of the school who are you know making promises that you can't keep you know or that you don't really have any hand in keeping like if you're if you're a billy napier like you you don't have a say in any of this you don't you can almost have a say in what what the kid's being offered you don't have to you don't even have a say if you want the kid or not like you know the collectives make these deals sign the contracts but you're on the hook and yeah, it, I mean, what's the it, level of col messy. collaboration you're going to want? You know, Spencer, you you uh, look like you're going to say a few things, and then I kept jawing there. Oh, what no, do you that's got? all good. I was just kind of curious, you know, how the the one contract says up to this amount of money, like up to eight appearances. So you could do like three appearances, and it still technically meets the up yeah. to. It's like it's I weird think there's a laissez-faire approach there. there for a reason because yeah. these kids aren't very, are, they're not doing very much, and that's across the country. That is across the country. I I know college athletes are getting to these meetings with whatever collective nil whatever you know business that's supporting them and they're they're basically saying are you going to give us the money we usually don't have to do anything for this you know i've heard that all over the place i think that's consistent to me it's like you need to make sure that these collectives aren't just going out and acting however they want and how do you do that if they're not a part of the school or the ncaa to some degree like i mean the NCAA, you make a lot of money. Get it together and have them register the same way you tried to have agents register. Or you're going to get to a point where you're forcing every prospective athlete to hire an agent that's vetted by the NCAA. And I don't think they want that either. Well, they do vet agents. Uh, right, that's what I'm saying. Should they right. vet collectives? Oh, well, this is a – Luke, this is – I don't think they want to because they don't – I think that the NCAA thinks until they get some sort of law, like federal law passed, they love collectives. They're, they're outsourcing the paying to other people, and so they don't have to oversee it, and they don't have to be involved in it, and they're not doing it. And so I think they feel like right now it's their way to keep their hands clean. All of this being the case, Luke, what do you make then of – Bay, of what Jim Beheim had to say, because uh, I'm I'm really kind of curious more than anything else when it comes to Beheim. What do you, for those of you who don't know, Beheim in the post game press conference is basically just sort of overall old man groaning about just sort of the general status of of college sports, and it, I'm sure it's not very difficult to imagine Jim Beheim doing this. Uh, but but then he said basically, uh, Wake Forest uh, and Pitt they, they they bought a team, they're the bought and paid for. Miami, they they bought a, they bought a whole team and it's and it's how it is and, and and it's getting worse, and I'm kind of curious. First of all, what do you think? Where did that come from? In particular, that he sort of called out Wake Forest, Miami, Pitt. Well, I think it's a coach that's coached at Syracuse for 50 years, and for you know 45 of those ish. He's been very successful, and now he sees a, a dramatically tra changing landscape. And it's much more difficult to him to for him to compete because he's never worked with NIL. He's never had to pay players. It's been about you're going to win at Syracuse. You're going to play a style that's fun. You're going to play a defense that lets you be long and athletic, and you don't have to go you know lock up and run around screens and do all that. And then on the offensive end, he does run a great style that if you're an elite player, you got a high skill set. 
you can go out there and win a lot of games. I think when Jim Beheim makes it to the tournament with that 2-3 zone and different style, he shows kind of what they're about. He's made lots of runs, right? You don't win a national championship without having some appeal there. And then now, you know, he's he's looking around at these teams and the and the Wake Forest is the example to me. Steve Forbes and what he's done in the transfer portal. Last year having Alondez Williams wins player of the year. This year Tyree Appleby through 23-24 games has better stats. Right? He's gone out and gotten two guards like that. Jake LaRavia was a first-round draft pick from Indiana State. And this year they've got transfers from kind of all over that have filled in the pieces. Jim Beheim doesn't have that, right? At least not to the same extent. Now, part of that is he's really struggled to recruit the last few years because of you know, having the kids there. The negative recruiting there is pretty easy, yeah. right? You know, you can be the greatest player in the world, but you're you think he's just gonna ruin Thanksgiving? Like you're not playing yeah, you, above his son. Come on. Right. Your last name is not Behan. That's right. all that matters. Right. right. You can be the greatest thing in the world, but that's not gonna happen. That's pretty easy, right? So, you know, his comments were interesting to me because they were paired with something. I don't know if you guys felt the same way or caught this, but it was basically this college basketball situation is so bad. This is the worst place we've been in so long. That's why Coach K left. That's why Jay Wright left. You know, Wake Forest goes and buys their team. Who was the other team you referenced, Mark? You remember? Pitt. Pitt. Pitt goes and buys their team. He says, it is what it is. We're not doing it that way. We're doing things different. We're developing. I've recruited my guys. And then after he talks about how bad college basketball is for so long, he also adds, well, I'm going to retire when I want to. And it's been a conversation for the last 15 years that am I ready to retire? Well, I'm not going anywhere. It's my decision. I get to coach as long as I want. So it's so bad on one hand. And then he turns around and says, I'm going to keep this thing going. And he talks about his young talent, how they've been in a lot of games. And and that's true. But it's everybody is going to have a shorter time frame for coaches for down years in this environment. And I just I hate to say it because Jim Beheim is a legend. I have a ton of respect for him. I think that the comments, even if it was a student reporter like the guy's been coaching for 50 years. You know who he is. It, you know, some level of toughen up, right? I don't like his comments, but he's a legend, and he, he probably gets away with that a little too much, but I'm also going to tell him you can because of who you are. That's not a popular opinion. I get it. But, you know, if you're not going to adapt and you're not going to embrace the name image likeness era, you probably do need to think about, hey, man, do I want to do this anymore? I think that's what Jay Wright did to his point, and that's what Coach K did. You can't sit there and crush it forever and then say, well, I'm going to hang on and see how long I can run this thing. Yeah, I wonder if at least some of it is Beheim looking at the middle of the ACC being able to catch up to him really quickly. You know, because he didn't call out Duke or Carolina – or, or even Virginia, it was the schools that he is usually kind of packed in with in about the middle middle of the ACC. Yep. And here he is worried about sort of getting his own footing, and all he turns around, and Wake and Pitt in particular have at least caught up to him or have rosters that are that are comparable to his what very good quickly. Point. And, and, and to me, that's what I think is more than anything. He's unnerved by the fact that I think if everybody is, is sort of where they ought to be, he's ahead of them. And he's not, but you know you can't be mad at them. They are playing the game. Yeah. They and for him to make the comments that he made, kind of wild. And then one of my favorite things that anybody does, but especially in, when you have to issue an apology, is to say, "I wish to uh, to clarify my remarks from earlier." <laughs> and then he proceeds to say the opposite of everything he said. That's not clarifying, and it's really not an apology either. Yeah, it's like just take it back. Just be like, look, I was mad, and I'm sorry. Like, why not say that? But don't tell me that you're clarifying. Man, you sound like a relationship counselor. I might you need you to come talking. You're wrong. Jim Beheim's never gonna do that. Nick Saban last summer with the Jimbo Fisher stuff. Well, he's like, he's not gonna I, like I'm clarifying. No, if I'm there gonna... was any coach in the ACC that would just be like, screw your feelings. I'm not sorry. Did you buy him or not? Like it would be Beheim. So I was a little kind of a little disappointed that he didn't dig in. Yeah, me too. Um, and I, I would have loved to hear heard a little bit more back and forth. But you brought up a great point there. I know you're always chasing great questions. That is a great point with the teams that he decided to kind of go after. Because, you know, you can still do things like Duke and just try and go get the star freshman lineup and, and go out there and battle. Or you can do things like Virginia, 
where you're developing, you're getting older. Again, that, that team played a lot of games last season, wind up in the, in the NIT playing three games. Then they do an overseas trip where they get to keep building. And this is with, I mean, Kihei Clark might as well be as old as I am. Like they've got old veterans on their team. They bring in one piece, really, and they're dramatically better. So, like, you can go whichever way you want, but he was very specific with the teams he targeted. That's a great point there, Mark. I uh, want to get Chris in here before we hit the top of the hour break here. Let's do that. Let's get Chris in here. Chris, welcome into hey. the drive on Nathan. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. Thanks so much. Um, regarding Bayheim, I think the thing for me personally that is so hard for me to get a grasp of is the fact that Jim Bayheim's first year uh, at Syracuse was when I was a senior in high school in 1976. And now I'm 64, going to be 65 in May. Uh, that guy's been coaching there almost my, you know, my, my whole adult life. And the crazy thing was, is the last year, the year before he, um, before he became the head coach, Syracuse was in that Final Four with Louisville, Kentucky, and UCLA. Mm -hmm. And Roy Danford was the coach at uh, uh, Syracuse that year. And he leaves to go to Tulane, who was in the Metro with Louisville eventually. He was leaving for a better position. Now, go figure that one out. He obviously was a good coach to get him into the Final Four in 75. Um, But then, you know, they get uh, Mr. Booger Picker. And, uh, you know, he, the rest is history. But, uh, you know, I guess I'm a little bit disappointed that, um, that you know, Beheim didn't include us in his complaint. But I guess when you only have three wins, you're not going to get included in anybody's comments. And my last co- question is for you, Mark. Um, last time I called, I asked you specifically if you had seen any situations where we had drawn charges uh, I've watched the last couple games. I still haven't seen any. Have you? Oh, boy. I think that there has been one or two. Thank you for the call, Chris. Thank you, you so much. The last, that's what you yeah, said I, the last time. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, – I certainly don't – hey, you know what? After this game, like, I don't I don't have one that immediately, like, pops to mind. Like, a crucial yeah, one. Not on purpose. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I watched the whole game Saturday. Uh, yeah, I watched the whole game. And, you know, and it was a nice comeback – uh, I will give them that. We tied it up a couple uh, twice, I think it was. But have we gotten any clarification as to why L took the ball all the way to the basket instead of trying to get a three? We got some sound that we can Thanks get into conference. here. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, um, we we have KP number three on the kind of final possession there that Spencer can tee up for us. But um, let's hear that real quick. Go ahead. I wanted to run a, a play where. I wanted Mike, I think it was Mike, tell me I don't need three by Mike. Well, Ellis drove and missed a shot, and there was a scramble for the ball. Well, L was, look, he made a good play to get in the lane, and we work on this play where you drive it in the lane and you reverse pivot, and the defense collapse, and you throw it behind. He decided to go try to make a shot. Probably should have shot faked and got fouled or found somebody earlier. Um... But we had a chance to tie it up. Mike had a wide open three or a good look at a three. Um, you know, I can't I can't be upset at that. What do you think, Luke, Mark? What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I understand what he's describing. I think he's describing something like the Watford shot, you know, where you get a guy who gets about a third of the way down the lane. You stop and you kick it out to somebody. Yep. Uh, the only problem with that is you needed three. And I don't know how much sagging you should have expected there with the defense knowing you need three there. That's the only thing that I, my biggest issue with that is like if that was the play, that makes sense, but two wouldn't have done it for you. You needed a three, and I just don't know how much overplay you would have gotten as well, a result of that. It still happens, right? Like they can go out there and say, hey, no threes. That's what every team talks about when they're coming out in that situation. If you're Florida, say, hey, don't give up a three. If you drive the basketball, if you're L. Ellis, it, somebody's still going to take that extra step. Like You can still get a little bit of separation if he gets a paint touch and gets, you know, gets inside the teeth of the defense. But what I thought, we teach what, Mark Ennis? What did he say? We teach 
getting in there, playing off two feet, and a reverse pivot. Yeah. When the heck have we seen that? Yeah. Like, if that's the play, you know, nine times out of ten, you see the jump out of bounds, try and throw it back and get a miracle pass across the court. I would love to see this guy. And again, 11 turnovers in this game is a positive. Get in the teeth of the defense, turn and pivot and kick it out. Would have been great. You know, you, you missed the most important step there. Not to shoot a two-pointer when you really didn't need one. Or, not that you really didn't need one. Had you needed a three. a three. Yes, you have to have it. So, even defending him there, if the draw-up was reverse pivot kick out, it, it can't be, well, he made the decision. and but You needed a three. That should be it. We'll come back and pick this discussion up here on the other side, on the drive on I thought about.